the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back, and happy Halloween, everyone. You're listening to Ion Real Estate. I'm here with Ace One Two Park from Citizens Bank and Andrew Lieb, uh, legal counsel here, and always giving us legal advice. And we are so very happy to have and thrilled to have uh, Robert Hornberger, who uh, is a prominent divorce attorney. I don't know if it's good morning or good afternoon or kind of in the middle, um, good to have you on our show, Robert. Uh, do I have you on the line? Thank you. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, yes. Okay, so you practice mainly your specialty is divorce? Yes, divorce and family law. And family law. So, um, you know, look, we're we're always talking to... Everyone, our, our, our listeners, about obviously when you're buying homes together, you're either in love or you're getting married or you are moving up to another property. Um, is, so is, 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 is there, first of all, something you would give advice to people who are entering? Because it's normally, you know, once you're, if you buy it while you're married, then it's maritable property. But is there some advice you would give to people um, when it comes to buying real estate if they're married or unmarried? Or is there any general advice that you would give to somebody? Um, I mean, as a divorce attorney, what I would say is when you're going into the transaction, you need to know what your intent is as the married couple. Uh, one of the uh, biggest issues we run into in equitable distribution, especially as it relates to a marital residence, is if one spouse had more money coming into the marriage or, say, their family gave them a gift towards the purchase. Um, in New York, any money that you put towards the purchase from money from funds you had before the marriage or if you received it as a gift or an inheritance during the marriage is your separate property, but it's your obligation in the event of a divorce um, to document and prove that you had that separate property. Um, and oftentimes the other spouse will engage in what I like to refer to as selective ignorance. They select to forget <laughs> I like that, that their spouse had the money. Yeah, they select to forget that their spouse had that money before the marriage or, the, or their spouse's parents made that gift or it was an inherited amount of money that they used toward that down payment. 
And if you cannot prove that you had that money before the marriage or it was a gift or an inheritance, then you lose the credit. So it's important, uh, even when you're married, to keep proof of um, the source of funds you use towards the purchase of your marital residence. Hey, Rob, what do you mean by proof, though? Can you tell us a little more about what, like, documents, proof? What are we looking to hold on to? Copies of bank account statements, canceled checks, um, gift letter affidavits. Um, if, if your parent, Andrew, as you know, if your parents give you a gift towards the purchase of the house, the bank is going to want you to, their, your parents sign a gift letter saying that this is a gift. It doesn't have to be repaid. So those are the types of documents that we as divorce attorneys look to. And if your parents are going to help you with the down payment, it's important that they write the check directly to their child. Don't write it to the couple. Do not write it to the seller's attorney uh, to hold an escrow. Write that check to your child and write gift on it so it's clear that that gift was to your child and not to the marriage. Because if you write it to the couple, it's a gift to the couple. If you write it to the seller's attorney towards the down payment, it then the question is going to become what was the intention of the parents when they made it. And uh, if they're not around um, or they didn't record their intent anymore, it's going to be difficult to prove the okay. separate property credit. So let me ask you a question. So you're saying that if my parents were to give me a piece of the down payment, then they should write that check to me personally, uh, not to myself and the spouse, and then would they put on the check uh, maybe a little note that says, you know, towards down payment of your home or something of that, or just keep a record, or I would keep a record of it? Because obviously in a divorce, you know, then people are, that down payment, if one person put it all down, or a lot of times parents gave it to their child, their child, your children are going to lose it, and it's going to go to both of the children, even when they're divorced, you know, you're, you, and, and most parents want that money to stay in the family. Uh, so what would you, so what should you just write it out to that, your child, and that's it? Or do you record it somewhere? Yes, just write, write, write that check to your child, keep a copy of it, and then as the child receiving the gift from the parents, keep a copy of the, of the check, keep a copy of the bank account statement, um, you know, scan it, save it in the cloud somewhere. That way you have it down the road. Because I promise Rob, you just... that in the event of an acrimonious divorce, your spouse oftentimes loses their sense of morality, is going to forget that, that, their, spou- that their spouse's um, parents, their former in-laws, wrote that check. Wow. So, Dottie, I mean, and Rob, in Dottie's question... Rob, I have a question. In Dottie's question, though, should she be taking that check and putting it into a separate account? Does she need her own checking account as well, or can she put that directly into an account with the spouse? She, they could put it into account with the spouse because an argument against transmutation, which is um, an, a theory of the law, uh, which says that uh, even though something's separate, you can do things to it to turn it into separate property. An argument or defense to the transmutation claim is it was only put into the joint account for convenience. So if, if the intention is we're buying a house, your parents are writing you that check towards the down payment, you're only depositing it into the joint account with your spouse because you could then write the down payment check. So the convenience argument would prevail over the transmutation claim in that instance. 
Very interesting. So what you're saying is just to recap one more time, if a parent wants to give a gift towards the down payment, what you're saying is that they should write a check to one of the kids, their kid, and not to the married, and then they could just put that in a joint account and there's no problem. So when you do that, does it matter how you deed the property? Rob, so like when they buy the property, does it matter if that both names are on the deed, one name's on the deed? What's that about? Um, any property acquired during the marriage in New York is marital property unless it's the result of a, a gift, an inheritance, or a compensation for personal injury. So it doesn't matter if during the marriage you buy the property only in your name. It's still marital property unless it's one of those three things. But oftentimes, as the couple purchasing the real estate during the marriage um, will find out, their their attorney is going to ask them how to deed the title. And um, spouses in New York take title as tenants by the entirety, which means it's very similar to joint tenants with rights of survivorship if your spouse predeceases you, you now own 100% of of the real estate. Okay, let me ask you a question. Wait, so if you now bought something, you were married, you were in love, you bought the house together, maybe you paid 90% of it, or it was your down payment or your parents' down payment, and now you're getting divorced. And in tenants, with tenants by entirety, I think. Yes. Yeah, tenants by entirety. Like so, so now you're getting divorced, and or somebody dies. And tenants by entirety, the property transfers to the surviving spouse. Correct. Yes. Okay, so the the rights of survivorship also go along with that. But Rob, what happens when That's you get correct. divorced to the tenancy right. by the entirety? Right. So does, does it still go to the surviving spouse if I get divorced, or does something happen to the deed on divorce? Uh, by operation of law, the tenants by the entirety converts to a tenants in common. So you don't have to execute a new deed, meaning that the event of your of your death after you're granted a divorce, um, you own your half of the house outside of the marital estate, and if you pass, it would pass to your estate, not to your surviving spouse. So simply stated, even if you bought it as tenancy by the entirety, it doesn't matter, and you don't have to worry that your ex-spouse is going to inherit it, because once you get divorced, it automatically just becomes like a 50-50. Yes. Interesting. So when we're dealing with this type of thing, the type of deed that these people buy together, you're saying it doesn't matter. And you used this word equitable distribution before. And can you just tell me a little about what that means? Um, In New York, any property acquired during the marriage is equitably distributed in divorce. And equitable means fair, not necessarily equal. However, the longer you're married, the more the presumption is that assets should be divided equally. But... In New York, it is equitable distribution. And so, so that's, what about when you, there's no oh, fault, right? Sorry. No, no. I just want you. I mean, like once yeah. you have equitable, somebody can't say, "Well, my husband cheated on me, so he doesn't get." It. it really doesn't matter what you did or why you got divorced, or if somebody's all right or wrong. It just means it's the way that that property gets distri- the distribution, correct? So the issue of marital fault, as it applies to equitable distribution. In most cases, a court will not consider fault in determining how to distribute assets. The only time a court will consider fault is if the court deems the fault to be egregious, and it has long 
been held that adultery in and of itself is not egregious enough to upset so equitable cheating. distribution. Yeah, cheating doesn't matter as far as equitable distribution. Unfortunately, no. Oh, so what I does said, matter? What is egregious? No. What is egregious, though? What does that mean? What, is there any ever time that it is egregious? Um, the cases, if you read the cases on egregious fault, they generally boil down to the attempted murder or contract for hire murder of your spouse, believe it or not. In those cases, so they generally time. give almost no. That's okay, pretty much got the only that. time. So, so um, if, if a divorce says to transfer a house between the spouses, what happens with the mortgage? Like, so in other words, because I always cover this a lot. You can yeah. be on the deed, meaning I own the house with my spouse, but maybe one person, one person can be on the mortgage. debt. And if only one person's on the debt, then only I'm assuming one person has to repay it, even though I might own the other half if I'm not on the mortgage. Correct? Not, not necessarily, because in the event of a divorce, see, I'm looking at it from the divorce perspective. Okay, okay, give us that. Even though one, even though one spouse is on the mortgage and only contractually owes the bank the money, the marriage owes the debt because the debt was acquired during the marriage to purchase the real Got estate. It. So while they only one spouse may owe the bank, they're both responsible for the debt. Got it. So let me ask you this: So you, since you, you know, you're you're seeing all of the cases in divorce. Obviously, uh, when you get married to someone who could be a spendthrift or whatever they do while you're married is going to be your liability. I mean, I had a friend that was married to a pretty prominent guy, but never really bothered worrying about the taxes. He always took care of it. And when they got divorced, he deeded, he, you know, part of her settlement was the, the marital home, which was worth a substantial amount of money. And when she went to, uh, they sold it, and when she went to collect the money, the IRS was there. He had never paid taxes for the last ten years, and even though that was what he gave, gift that was part of the settlement, she didn't get it. So, like, so your debts during marital, you know, during a marriage, really, be, are they both, you know, in other words, are both liable on anything that occurs during a marriage? So the same way that assets that are acquired during the marriage are marital and will be equitably distributed, so are the debts. So even if you have a credit card and that credit card is only in your name, the debt that's acquired is still marital debt and the court will equitably distribute it. So the court will look at what was the intent when the debt was created, did it serve any marital purpose? Was it for food? Was it for clothing? Was it for vacations for the family? Um, if if the debt was acquired, maybe to serve as one spouse's purpose, they it's gambling debt. They are having an affair. They're they're charging gifts or hotels for a paramour. Then a court isn't going to hold the other spouse liable. I, I guess In it can get ugly, and I think people make up a lot of stuff. Like I, I think. But yeah. all right. But just to protect yourself, and by the way, I've, some of you have been on the line a long time for questions, so just give us two minutes. Um, so what, basically, look, when you're purchasing a home, that's probably, for most people, uh, one of their largest investments. So, you know, we don't anticipate, obviously, when we buy a home with somebody that we're going to get divorced, uh, but that is a possibility. So are there any... 
Are there any tips that you would give people who are considering buying a home together? Actually, Dottie, I have a quick question. Sure. So I see a lot of... Do you say any tips? Well, yeah, but but Ace has a question first. So, so I see a lot of couples that are sure. not married, uh, Robert, that are trying to purchase a home together before they even get married. And that's probably a more likelihood that things may not work out, right, in terms of just that commitment. What do you recommend individuals that are looking to purchase together but are not married? Like what documentation would you would you recommend? Because that's happening more more often than, than not, right? Pre pre couples that are not married looking to buy a home with anticip- anticipation of getting married, but we all know things can happen, so Did you hear that? Robert? Robbie um, there? It, it kind of, it, yeah, it did go in and out, but I think I think the caller is asking um, what well, advice would I give to a couple who's not married buying a house. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. Yeah. So, again, it's, it's all about having a conversation and understanding your intent because, first of all, if, if the couple were to subsequently marry, that house would not be deemed marital property. So in most divorce cases, the judge will not deal with it because it's not a marital asset. And then they're going to wind up in a plenary action litigating um, how to distribute the house in a partition. And Andrew can speak more to that than so I could. So just to jump in, those are Rob, I just want to jump in on that real quick and just tell everyone that means you're going to have to have two lawsuits. That's all Rob's trying to say. Yeah. Is first you have a divorce and then you have another lawsuit. So he's trying to suggest how to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 Rob, we really so that so you're just saying that listen, it's a big asset and obviously litigation anybody can litigate, anybody could sue. Uh so I would would you suggest as an a legal that you should kind of be as clear as you can when you purchase something onto the intent of that if you you know, like you know when I did my partnership agreement with my partner uh, I think I was there for days. I'm like, why are you putting all this stuff in? He said, Dottie, if you have a good partner, you'll never look at it. But it's when you don't that you have to have all these things in. So I basically so think smart. if you, you know, if things work out well or you have a reasonable person that says, listen, let's, we're, we're not going to work out long term, but we're going to split up, but let's be fair about this. So be it. But it's when you don't. Um, or as I think um, Robert said, it's when you have a spouse that wants all the money and you don't want to give it. Um, that's when really that, that agreement becomes so critical. And I think, Robert, maybe you can um, – you're a better connection now. We really didn't have a good connection before. But better that you say that once you're buying a home and you're married, it's basically marital property, Correct. Yes, unless it unless it's a gift and inheritance. Um, yeah. If your parents gift you a house and you're married, that's your house. If you inherit a house from a family member, that would be your house. It wouldn't be a wouldn't be a marital asset, even though you acquired it during the during your marriage. In the, in the yeah, even in the situation um, of where a couple's going to buy a house before they get married, should have a conversation. They you could have a partnership agreement entering into that purchase, uh, discussing uh, percentage of ownership, who's going to be responsible for paying what carrying charges on on the property, um, giving credit to um, the member who put more money down, if that's that's the case, so that in the event they do wind up 
uh, breaking up and that property needs to be sold. You could even address who's going to have the right to purchase the property first. Thank you. If the couple were to get married, they could do a prenup addressing. We're going to get cut off, but Robert, thank you so much. It's been very great. Like, you're really very knowledgeable, and you should call Robert if you, hopefully, you're not getting divorced, but if you need to. And those of you who've been on the line, we're going to take your questions right after the break. 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. We'll be right back with the last 30 minutes of Ion Real Estate and stay on the line, Rosa and Irina. Bye. Listen to Honig County Perino's Risk Radio Network podcast for real deal conversations between F. Michael Conti and Michael Honig, partners of Honig County Perino Insurance Agency. They tell it like they see it when it comes to business, and there isn't much they haven't seen. Only on the Risk Radio Network podcast. Sebastian Gorka here for Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that was formulated by doctors to help your body deal with inflammation and pain. The reason I've told so many of my friends about the three-week quick start is because as we get older, occasional aches and pains can be a real problem, keeping you from sleeping through the night or doing the things you love and need to do, like taking walks or playing golf, going up or downstairs, or simply playing with your kids or grandkids. Tens of thousands are now like me, glad they ordered the three-week quick start for just nineteen ninety-five. After years of back pain, I found relief, and I believe you could too. Folks, this is why the father and son owners of Relief Factor, Pete and Seth Talbot, created the three-week quick start, and they discounted it to only nineteen ninety-five. Approximately 70% of those who order it go on to order more. Let's see if we can get you out of pain too. Go to relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com, or call 800-500-8384. The Bible teaches us that we must provide for our families and set aside for our children and grandchildren. But do you have a plan to get that done? Why not learn how to trade in the stock market? According to the popular book, Cash Flow Quadrant, investing is the best area in business for financial growth and time freedom. Attend Tradeway's exciting two-day event called Step One Start Your Journey, and we'll walk you through everything you need to know to trade stocks on your own. You don't need any previous experience to learn this powerful skill set, and you'll leave the event feeling empowered, and you'll have the confidence you need to get started. Maybe this is the plan you've been looking for. Join us at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square, November 15th and 16th. Only $99.95 for your entire household, plus a free ticket for a friend and a full money-back guarantee. To register, call 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-TRADE. Or go to Tradeway.com. That's Tradeway.com. Dr. Sebastian Gorka wants to see the Republicans fight. What we saw today, that handful of people from the Freedom Caucus busting into that secret trial, that fake, fake impeachment, this could turn things around because we have to start fighting. Marquis of Queensbury doesn't work anymore. We have to play politics. We have to fight politically like they do. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, afternoons at 3, right before Kevin McCullough at 5 on AM 970. The answer brought to you in part by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law. Whether you need help drafting a will, trust, power of attorney, or health care proxy, their experienced team of attorneys have been helping clients plan their estates for over 30 years. It's I on real estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. 
we're back, and you're listening to Ion Real Estate, and I, I kind of lost uh, one of our callers, but let me get Irina. Hi, Irina. Thanks for holding on so long. How can I help you? Wait, you're echoing. But you're echoing. Can you try that question again? Okay. Try, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Shoot. Yes, so I have a question about the stock certificates for the core building. Uh, so I own this corp, which originally was bought with me and my mother. My mother has All right, slow down. You're them. echoing. So do you have the phone on speaker by any chance? Yes. Turn Yeah, turn the speaker off so, so we can hear you. Yeah, because you're yes. echoing. Is this better? Much yes. better, much better. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, so um, I owe uh, a corp. Uh, in in, uh, in uh, Queens. Originally, it was bought by me and my mother. So on the stock certificate, I have my name plus her name. I'm looking at it right now. So she has passed away since then, and I am an executive of her estate. So my question is, should I, in case I want to sell the apartment, should I redo the stock certificate to put it in my name only? Is is she um in a co- a co-op? Yes. Um, so I don't know if you, Andrew. I don't. I don't know that you have the rights to. I mean, in other words, yeah. by will, she's left you that apartment. I mean, you have the rights. That's to what I'm be, asking. Yeah. I mean, Andrew, maybe. I'm you, sorry. What? In other words, your your the your mom's left you legally the right to to. To um, distribute her estate, like who you're in her, her will, or did she leave you as an executor of the estate? Well, uh, she didn't leave me as an executive, but since she passed away, I went through the courts, and uh, I am the executor of her estate. Okay, yes, so Irina. You, Irina, ahead. let me jump in. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a quick question. When you bought it with yeah. your mom, do you happen to know if you bought it as joint tenants? Do you know if that was the no, name on the? Was, yeah, that's what I'm looking at the certificate. It says my name. Plus her mm-hmm. name. It was bought in '83, so it wasn't so, yes. like you know very so if you, strict then. If you if you don't buy it as joint tenants, it's by default what's called tenants in common. And what in English that means is you own your half, and your mom's estate owns the other half. So when you said mm-hmm. you became the executor of the estate, my question was that generally implies your mom wrote a will. And if your mom wrote no, a will, she did I not wanted have to a know. will. No, she, she did not question. have a will. Great. Next question: Are you the only child of your mom? I'm the only child, no relatives. And your mom has no, no um, uh, husband or anything or like that, or wife or anything like no, that. No, no, no. Okay. No. Well, that means that you get it by what's called operation of law, and it goes to you. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend redeeding it to your own name. And I'm going to tell you why. Why you're going to change that um, the mm-hmm. stock certificate? Because when you sell it. When you sell it, it's going to make cleaner title for the buyer and make it more marketable. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what I'd recommend okay. is to change the deed. It's a very easy process. Even with recording fees, you're generally talking under $1,000 total, and you can just change mm-hmm. the deed from you and your mom to you, and as the executor, you have the power to do it. Easy, breezy, beautiful. I recommend you do it. Yeah, do it, right. And should I go through the attorney or should I try to do it myself? Generally, I would go through an attorney, and the reason probably mm-hmm. mostly mm-hmm. is because you have a co-op, and the co-op board has to approve what you're doing. And dealing with the yeah. co-op board, okay. they're going to have an attorney, too. It's a simple process. Mm-hmm. Most local attorneys can do it. Just ask them if they yeah. do real estate. I'm sure they can help you out. Okay. All right. I just wanted to confirm that. That's what I thought. Thanks, Irina. 
And thanks for okay. thank calling you. in, thank Iowa Real much. Estate. Thanks. Okay. Have a great okay. weekend. Thank you. And mm-hmm. Happy Sorry. Halloween. Very yeah. interesting. So, really interesting. Right? I'm Dottie, asking. I got a, a trivia for you. I got a trivia for you Shoot. while we're on the phone. I'm not great and at trivia. <laughs> well, you know, like this. So I was looking up because we're talking about Halloween, and I, you all know that I have a kid, and I want yes. to know what the best candy is. And Business Insider puts out what the most popular candy in every state is. And I wanted to see if you Can guys I know because I'm preparing. Yeah, that's I what I want you to get. How about my favorite candy, Reese's Pieces? Oh, I love those. Mmm. What about you, Ace? Do you have a guess? I don't have a guess, but how come every Halloween they still have that corn candy, that orange Oh, I hate little, that. I hate that those. cheap Ugh. candy. I hate those. And it takes your cavities, doesn't it? Yeah, like, that. Didn't like, you, when you were a kid, didn't you always know the cheap people that gave <laughs> corn candy that I you didn't know, like? That we used to like this one woman. Her name was Marguerite. She gave money. She gave dollar bills, and when I was a kid, a dollar was a lot to get yeah. on Halloween. And so, like, was like, let's go to her house where these people give good candy. Those corns all look really the worst. Ugh, the worst. The worst. Don't give those corns out. (laughs) So what's the best? So this year, the number one in New York is hot tamales. I don't like those either. Last year was Sour Patch Kids. I want to go back to last year. I love Sour Patch Kids. Kids. I like Mm. them too. Hot tamales. What do your kids like, Andrew? My son's with you with the Reese's. That every day he's asking for We have a bag of them. And he's like, I was so good. Can I have a Reese's? Can I have a Reese's? The best. (laughs) Yeah, I, 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 I love Reese's. Anyhow. So, Dottie, am I, am I allowed to eat his candy after he goes trick-or-treating? Can I steal some of it? Is that bad well, form? Well, yeah, we always, like, you know, would look in the my daughter's baskets, first of all, just to check to make sure there was nothing bad in there. And, of course, we stole some good candy. But she kind of kept I track. Steal some. Yeah, the yeah. candy bars and the things that were good. <laughs> but, you know, I don't find, you know, I, I don't find as many trick-or-treaters as there were. I, I just don't. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, that was like a big thing. We all went out and went to homes, and I just don't see as many. So I, you know, and I kind of think it was a neat holiday. Then I heard they were trying to get away, get rid of it because it was a witch's holiday. I was like, oh, come on. <clears throat> Let's be real now. Let's have a little fun. Uh, so I hope that, you know, and I love dressing up, you know, in costumes and stuff. I think that's really It's fun. Yeah. Are you going to any costume parties this year? I'm sick. I have the flu. I, I was going to call you over the last, but I was so sick I couldn't. I just couldn't even talk. I caught a bug, and I don't know if I caught it Oof. leaving mm. Marrakesh or I caught it as soon as I hit New York. But I guess I was tired, and my resistance was low. And I've been in bed for two and a half days. This is the first day out. Wow. Uh, Ooh, for yeah. us, though, you did it. So yeah. we were missing last week, so we're happy at well, least we were, were able to struggle through it. Well, we were missing because there was, yeah. you know, a technical thing that I just yeah. probably, you know, needed to get a handle on, and I was not here. So, you know, I, I'm sorry and about that. we figured that. it out. We're back. So I just wanted to tell everyone, because I know we're having listeners calling in, and they're asking how to reach Robert Hornberger. And if they have divorce questions, instead of calling us, what you got to do is you got just got to call up Robert Hornberger, and his phone number is 631-923-1910. I'm going to do it one more time. 631-923-1910, and he's there to help you. And we want to just thank Robert again for being on the show with us, because I think people have these divorce issues, Dottie, all the time, and they're afraid to ask questions. So it's, they don't want their spouse to hear them on the radio asking the question. So you can have a one-on-one call with Robert by doing that and get your questions answered. It's better to be prepared. But hopefully, um, what I hopefully people learn on listening to this show or if they have somebody who's listening to it for them, uh, because you can get excerpts of the show. You could go online and just find pieces of it. 
that are interesting to you is that hopefully you don't have to go through litigations because you know enough things ahead of time to make sure that you protect yourself. And obviously, if you buy a home together um, and you kind of use for together funds, then that's the way it's going to go. You know, you're going to Daddy, end you, up with half. You made such a suggestion, and I think I think it was missed a little. You were talking about how you went to a partnership agreement. And people hear this word prenup like a dirty word. Yes. And really all a prenup is is a partnership agreement with your future spouse. And you were pointing out, and I thought it was so smart you said it, that it only matters when there's a problem. If we have no problem, we never have to look at it. And so I'm going to suggest even if you don't get the agreement done, even if you don't write a prenup, you should talk to your spouse and consult with the law. So before you get married, as Ace was asking a question, you buy the property together, you can at least understand everyone's expectations. And just to back up, I don't know if everyone remembers this, but my background is I used to teach human sexuality. And what we learned... You the did? What made reason, you teach that? Oh, you really sexuality. did? Wow, I did. Andrew. I <laughs> I was in the college level. I, I have a master's in public health, and I used to I, I was a nobody, but I worked at the Kinsey Institute. And I want to just tell you what we I did. And so I want to tell you what we learned there in human sexuality. The main reason people get divorced is called false expectations. And what that means is that you expect one thing and your spouse expects something else. And if you just have realistic expectations, you're less likely to get divorced. Hmm. Put that all together. Dottie's partnership agreement, she was saying. You and your future, as Ace was asking, you and your future, your significant other that might get married. Having realistic expectations and talking this out can avoid the whole problem in the first place, and perhaps you'll stay married. Hmm. Well, that's, that's so true. But, you know, I, re- I was telling Ace during one of the breaks Tell that me. when I was young, like the prenups first came out. Like nobody had ever heard of them. And I remember I was in my 30s probably – and I was like, prenups, I would never be with somebody who asked me to sign a prenup. How unromantic yeah. is that? And, yeah. of course, everybody thought that at the time. And then Ace said to me during the break, Johnny, is it true? Because I think I mentioned in the beginning of the show the divorce rate is well over 50%. And it's been that for a while now. Years. Right. So with the divorce yeah. rate, marriage is really a serial – the chances that someone's going to stay married, like get married at 27 or 28 and stay married till they're 80 is probably not likely or it's less than yeah. – you know. Right. So, so you've got to plan. People – you know, there used to be a time when the life expectancy was like 45 or 50 and, and so people didn't have to worry about what happened to their house. They dropped dead and they – But how you leave property, how you dispose of property, as you said, Andrew, the questions and that's what you talk with your spouse and how you talk about how you want this property to be distributed, God forbid anything happens, really will make such a big difference, even though they're touchy. And it's even when I talk about wills, you know, we'll get kids calling and their parents have left it to like three kids and... They're fighting over how it's this, how it's the distribution, and the parents need to you need to talk about while people, even though it's uncomfortable, it's certainly better to talk about it than than have to be in litigation afterwards. We're going to so be true. right back, and we're going to have some questions for you and Ace, and from that was sent in to us. We'll be right back. You're listening to I Am Real Estate. We'll be right back after our break. When you go to the doctor, you have to sign a form that agrees to binding arbitration in any dispute before you can be treated. 
When you apply for a credit card or buy an airline ticket, it's the same. And it means you give up your right to have your dispute heard in court by a jury. This weekend on Champions of Justice, Tom Girardi talks with an arbitrator and mediator about the practice. Tune in Champions of Justice, Sunday mornings at 10, here on AM 970, The Answer. In an era where it's tough to know which news outlet to trust, at a time where it's difficult to find facts, not just opinion, there is an oasis in the news desert. It's the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis, the personification of the American dream, who built a multi-billion dollar business empire, talks with some of the nation's top newsmakers every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. You won't just hear partisan spin. You'll hear directly from the newsmakers who are shaping the news cycle in the city, the country, and the world. On the Cats Roundtable, you won't just hear about politics. You'll hear about science, business, education, animal rights, and any other topics that you're interested in. Catch the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning, starting at 8.30, right after Morano in the Morning on AM 970. The Answer. America is kept safe because the Army National Guard responds, protects, and supports our nation when it needs them most. From fighting wildfires with air support, helping civilians in flooded neighborhoods, to delivering food and supplies to those who have lost everything, the Army National Guard always responds when disaster strikes. The Army National Guard also trains to be ever vigilant against threats, foreign and domestic. They protect our skies with missile defense weaponry. They secure our information, communications, and infrastructure with cybersecurity. And they protect us against chemical, biological, and radiological hazards with the civilian support team. The Army National Guard also stands ready to deploy and provide support for conflicts or humanitarian missions abroad. Join the Army National Guard and be there to respond, protect, and support your community and your country. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the New York Army National Guard. Aired by the New York State Broadcasters Association and this station. Hi, Saver. Looking for the smartest way to save on your Medicare Part D prescriptions? Walgreens is a preferred network pharmacy with many plans, including United Healthcare which can mean copays as low as $0 on prescriptions with select plans. So when you enroll in a plan with Walgreens as your preferred pharmacy, you know you're saving smartly. Walgreens, trusted since 1901. Other plans may be accepted. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Okay. Hi, we're back. And sometimes I think we have to put on air what happens during the commercial yeah. breaks. They're the best. <laughs> Um, so I have some questions, and um, they came into our email. So there, uh, one question. I guess. Uh, what's the difference between a co-signer on a lease and a guarantor? I'm renting my first apartment, and my family is going to help me out with the rent. Re- Richard, who's a recent college graduate. Well, that's a good one. That's a really a good question. I like that one. Richard, I hope you're listening because I just want you to know functionally from your perspective, probably nothing. 
There's probably no difference, a co-signer and a guarantor. The real question legally is, are they primarily responsible or secondarily responsible? Meaning that a co-signer can become the, the, the uh, landlord can go after to start off with. A guarantor, they can only go after when the tenant doesn't pay. But for your practical purposes, they mean the same thing. And what they're saying is the landlord's saying, I probably wouldn't rent it to you because you don't have the credit, you don't have the assets, you don't have the income. But if someone else has it, then I feel comfortable renting to you. It's a very important thing if you don't have the assets, income, or credit to say, maybe I have someone else in my family that can help me out because we all need a place to live. Richard, what a good question. That's a great question. Okay, so next one, this is kind of a, yeah, I don't think there's a wrong answer, but Dear Daddy, I'm kosher, and I own a two-family home in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. I don't want to rent to anyone who is not kosher. I don't want non-kosher foods in the building, and I don't want to smell pork products cooking. Is it fair, or is it legal? Is it fair, and is it legal for me to only rent to a kosher tenant? I'll refer that to you, um, Andrew. So before I even take the question, I just want everyone to know that I discovered yesterday, you probably don't care about this, but I discovered you can order Ben's Kosher Delicatessen on DoorDash. And I had matzo ball soup last night. I love and Dottie, Ben's. I think we're going to have... Yeah, we're going to have to send you matzo ball yeah, soup. Yeah, I miss this, Ben's. Um, I, you, know, you need Ben's, some Jewish penicillin. Oh, I yeah. just had matzo ball soup. Like but Ben's day. on oh. Long Island is famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah oh, it's yeah. so good. It's but so I, good. I and, Dottie, I didn't know that you could get delivery. And we went on DoorDash. I didn't know that. And I had, oh, it was so good. And so all I'm thinking about with this question is I'm going to go home, and I hope my wife didn't eat the last two balls that we left around. <laughs> I, I, all right. So the best. what do you think? So, so the question. It, it's definitely discriminatory. You can't do it. It's religious discrimination. What you're saying is that you're going to make your place only available to one sect of one religion. Do not do that. Here's what you do instead. I don't know if anyone knows about kashrut, but in kosher, I'm Jewish. I went to Solomon Schachter. What you do is you, you bury the plates after they leave. You get the rabbi to clean up the place. It's a little expensive if, you, if they're going to do it, but you're renting it out when you're a landlord. You've got to let them live. You've got to let anyone live, whether they do halal, whether they're anyone. People should be able to live there. Don't get sued. It's it's not worth it. Got it. Okay, my husband, Dottie, my husband and I want to buy a fixer-up, but we're afraid if we tell the agent that we're looking for uh, a fixer-upper, we'll only see the dregs. I don't know why you would think that. What's the best way to look for a second-hand home that's a fixer-upper? And that's from somebody in Brooklyn. I would just tell you that... Um, you know, when you see it needs TLC, tender loving care, it means it's a fixer-upper. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I think that you just and, – and by the way, when you sell a home, if it's all done up, you're going to pay for that. And a lot of people uh, don't want to be bothered fixing up houses. So you should be able to get a discount. So you would ask your real estate agent um, basically to show you houses that need some work. Not structural damage, like doesn't need a new roof or doesn't need a new oil burner. Not structural, but it maybe hasn't been painted or or decorated or has an old-fashioned kitchen. Uh, something like that. And, and I'm sure they're not going to show you dregs. And remember something. You do your own homework, too. I mean, you look at the area, look what's for sale, and go see some... I always tell... People who look go see some properties that are in perfect condition or in really good condition in the same neighborhood. See what they're selling Smart. for, mm-hmm. okay? And that's a good indication of okay, this is selling for X and that's fully done. 
Now estimate how much it's going to cost you to do all this work. Now, if you're handy, that's one thing. But if you're not handy, I'm sometimes telling you that it's almost easier, definitely easier, but sometimes even cheaper if you just get it done. So look at how much it's going to cost you to do the work. And gee, what will that extra money cost me if I buy it all done? And sometimes it's cheaper doing it all done, sometimes not, and depending on who's going to do the work. So that would be my advice for that. Smart, Dottie. I want to add one thing, Dottie, because the question was, again, and I think I, I, think I heard them right, they were saying they're afraid their broker is not going to show them what they're looking for. And I think that's the importance, buyers, of using a buyer's agent. Use someone that has duties to you that's on your side. And if you work with your own agent, that are going to be on your side and do exactly what you want. So you should ask your agent, who do you represent? That's a good question. Well, yes, and somebody had – okay, this is um, – somebody I had asked once, you know, is it wrong to work with the listing agent? Okay, now the so, listing agent, just so everybody knows, is the person that actually signed the contract with the seller to list their property. Uh, in most cases, uh, so um, so they're generally, and you have to ask that question, or they're supposed to disclose it. I believe uh, you're, you're. Are you working for the seller? So if I'm working for the seller, let's say I listed Andrew's house and Andrew's is for sale, and 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 I listed the you. house. Thank you, Andrew. I'm ready. And Ace is my customer. <laughs> And let's say Andrew lists the house for $799,000. But I know because Andrew tells me, Daddy, look, I'm going to list it for under like $799,000. But I would really take about $750,000. And I know this information. Okay, so now Ace comes in as a customer and I show him Andrew's house, and he happens to like it, and it's listed for seven hundred nine hundred ninety nine thousand. And he says, "Dottie, like, what do you really think I can get this for?" Now, in my mind, I know that Andrew told me he would take seven fifty. Yeah. I tell Ace and say, "Look, Ace." I know for a fact, because Andrew did tell me as the listing broker, I know that he's trying to get 800000 close to eight hundred. but if he has to, he could go as low as seven fifty. What have I just done? Sounds bad to me, Dottie. I was going to hire you, too. Now I'm very upset about this. I thought I had Dottie Herman the best. So the, the thing is that Dottie, and, and I, I think it's so important, and you said it before, people just need to know what side you're on. You should be asking your broker, do you represent the seller? Do you represent the buyer? And I'm going to say something, Dottie, about this, and I think this is so important. Everyone's so concerned. They, they want to know, can they work with a listing agent, right? Mm-hmm. When I go to Bloomingdale's, I work with a listing agent. The listing agent's the salesperson at the store. When I, when I go to the grocery store, True. I work with a listing agent. When, every, when I go to the car dealership, I work with a listing agent. Everywhere I shop, I work with a listing agent. The only issue is, was I deceived to believe the listing agent represents me when they don't? You know, that's a good point. And I think that it's really fair. And some of the agents are uncomfortable with this, but you really shouldn't be. All Ace has to do is say, Dottie, are you working for the seller? And um, are you working for Andrew? Leave the seller. And I was like, yes, Ace, I am. Then he knows that I can't disclose certain things 
okay, to him that might have been held in confidence. However, I must disclose the truth, right? So, I mean, I'm not going to yeah. lie to him. Now, no. Andrew, and it's really, I don't know if we'll have time to get into to, to today, but I think it's really a good topic for us to talk about. Like, yes. so what do you have to disclose? Like, I know that you have a picture that's hanging up in your living room, and behind it, um, one day you're in a bad mood and you punched a hole through the wall. I did. And you you put knew about the, that? Yes, and you put that picture to hide the hole in the wall. And I I'm happen devious. to know. Do I have to tell ASAP? You do. And what it says yeah. in the law, it's in Real Property Law 443, but what it says is a seller's agent, someone who represents the seller, has to disclose to the buyer all facts that they know that will affect the value or desirability of the property. So if you know something that's a secret, secret secrets are no fun, secret secrets hurt someone, you have to tell them. What don't you have to tell? What's the difference? You don't have to tell my subjective posture in the negotiations. Well, My wait, put that beliefs in English. of what I'm going to do. When you yeah, say English, subjective you, posture. It's I exactly mean, what you said before, Dottie. You knew I would take less. You can't tell them I could take less. But if I'm lying and saying Billy Joel once lived here and he didn't live here, that's called a lie. You should tell them. And another thing I see, Don, that people don't realize, let's say now um, I have Ace, he's the customer, and he says to me, you know, what do you think? And I say, well, gee, Andrew had a buyer that was going to contract. Then they chickened out the last minute. But I know that they offered 775000 and he accepted it. So what am I t- So if once I tell Ace that, do you think he's ever going to offer a dollar more than that? You got it. And the real question, Dottie, is did you and I discuss and did I give you authority to go tell him that? If I, the seller, said, hey, go tell him that, it's okay, then you could tell him. But otherwise, that's a secret. I think that that's going to be a topic that we'll talk about. But listen, guys, we have a half, maybe 45 seconds left. So I think on behalf of myself and Ace, Citizens Bank, Andrew, we want to wish you all of you a happy Halloween, a great weekend, and thanks you for all listening to Iron Real Estate. We love you guys. Be back next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A.